She's super popular. She has like vodka infused whipped cream or something like that. <laughs> and she has a ton of followers. But when you wow. look at the revenue for that business, you're not even talking about $10 million. The problem is, is the influencer wanted to do something like vodka infused whipped cream, <laughs> something so specific. There's no product market. Yeah. Right. And they're like, oh, riches are in the niches. No, it's not. You need to go after a big TAM, right? Total addressable market to yep. do well. Yeah. All right. I am with the savant of marketing, Neil Patel. What's up, man? Hey, how are you? Good. Dude, so I was talking to you pre-show, and I mean, I've seen your stuff, and I've had people tell me, like, you're the guy who knows everything about marketing, but I didn't know how massive it really was. And you were like, yeah, I mean, we bet we manage, you know, billions of dollars of ad spend a year. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's crazy. It's not that hard because there's really large corporations that themselves will spend 100, 200 million or a half a billion, and it adds up really quickly. Yeah. So how did you even get to this point of, you know, you've got this agency that's managing billions of dollars of ad spend for these massive corporations. And I was like, how did you even start making money? And you're like, well, I came from tech and, you know, I've yeah. got cash flow. And like, I, I want to know, how, how did you get started? So I am 37 right now. Started the first business when I was 16, first real one, which was an ad agency. Okay. Spoke at a nighttime community college when I was in high school. I was trying to finish college really early because I wanted to get into the workforce. And my first speech was on how Google works and their algorithm. And someone in that class worked at a power supply manufacturer. They provided power supplies to airplanes or heart resuscitators. And uh, they're like, we're looking for some sort of marketer that does what you're talking about. Can you meet my boss's boss? And I was like, sure. 16, he got me a contract for 60 grand a year, so five grand a month. And I brought in roughly 25 million in revenue for that company through SEO and paid <laughs> advertising. That's ridiculous. And then the owner of that company, his son owned an ad agency. So then he hooked me up with Countrywide, which I'm assuming you know well, yep. but they're no longer on part of Bank of America now. Then Blue Cross and ING Direct. So in between all four of those deals, I was making 20 grand a month his son was arbitraging it because he had an ad agency. He was just charging more. And I was a little kid and I was like, cool, I can do this. And as I started getting into this, I started landing bigger accounts. Like I remember one of our accounts was General Motors. When we were working on General Motors, their budget at the time, I think it was somewhere around $3 million a month in ad spend that we were managing. And I was just like, you know, if you spent, it was either three or five. I forgot the number, but either way, there was a wastage of either like, two or three million, it was something large per month. It's like, if you don't spend this, you'll actually generate the same return uh, or some generate the same revenue, but you'll just be able to save those millions of months. And I got canned from that contract mm. because if I didn't spend the money and I was a kid, I didn't realize this, the person wouldn't get the budget for the next quarter. And when he brought that up to me, I said, well, then just go allocate it in a different department. But that department wouldn't be his. He didn't like that. So I got canned from that contract. <laughs> so then from there, I was like, this is silly. Why would companies want to spend more money than they need to just because they want to maintain the budget? It's actually the wrong business decision, right? Right. For that corporation. So from there, I built an analytics software called Crazy Egg, which we still have, that breaks down the ROI, how you can generate more revenue from the traffic you're getting which helps a lot of the Fortune 100. And that's how I actually made most of my money was software. Mm. And that got me into the software room because I'm like, wait, this is scalable. It does well. You don't have to have as many employees. 
um, winded down the agency, focused more on software, did a few more software plays after that, still on the crazy egg one. And then funny enough, I got back into the ad agency world five years ago because most of the ad agencies that I know, they have 50 to 100 plus thousand employees. They're really large, they're publicly traded and everything is manual. I'm like, these guys don't use software to automate most of the work. So that's why I got back into it because I felt that I can create another ad agency using software to make it efficient, automated and have better margins, provide better work, um, and the business model has worked out so far. Yeah, so right now, how many billions of dollars are you guys managing right now in ad spend? I don't know. I don't keep track of that. <laughs> it's just so, a lot. It's a lot. Um, and the reason I don't keep track of that is a customer who gives you $500 million in ad spend to manage, percentage-wise, you make a lot less than someone who gives you 30, 40, 50 million to spend, right? Mm. So the numbers vary across the board, more so we track revenue for our organization and growth. Right. Are you able to share what kind of revenues you guys do? We're good size. The ad agency does over nine figures, okay. um, well into the nine figures. Um, I'll show you growth this year would be a little bit more than 40%. Mm. So if there wasn't the economic downturn, we probably would have been closer to 70% growth year over year. Wow. Uh, and next year, I don't know what's going to happen with the economy. My guess is we won't grow 20%. We'll grow more than 10. My guess is we'll be somewhere in that range. And that's just because you see companies not wanting to spend money on marketing. As much, but the return is still there. So companies won't cut back too much because if you're spending it, a dollar and it makes you 70 cents in profit, right? For every dollar you spend. So you're making more than that in revenue portion of its profit. You're not going to stop spending in a good market or a bad market. Why would you? Yeah. You would lose profit. Yeah. So, and that is most of the companies we deal with. They're generating profit. So we don't really see too much of a slowdown. So why would they spend less than if, you know, you were able to help them keep the same profits or, or, or the profits diminishing now just for where things are at? Most will not spend less. Sometimes you get CFOs because their stock price goes so down to cut back or CFOs saying you got to cut back. So we've gotten emails from, and I won't name the clients, but a few large Fortune 100 companies that say, you, we got to stop all spend in marketing. Got this word from the CFO, stocks down. We're cutting all marketing spend. You're on pause for a month or three months until we tell you otherwise. Mm. Then a month goes by, then two towards the end of the first month, usually second month, they're like, hey, we're noticing less revenue. And then we're like, ah, oh, the profit was there. Like, yeah, we know. And then you get calls on with the CMOs and then you eventually get to the CFOs and like, sure, you can turn it back on. <laughs> I mean, how does this, I wonder how the CMO and the CFO deal with that, like just debating with each other. Like we can't turn it off. Yes, but at these organizations, you have tons of CMOs because they have different divisions. When companies make like five, 10, 20 billion a year in profit, not revenue, and right. it's a billion with a B, you got tons of CF CMOs, you have tons of CFOs, it's what division, and it all rolls up into maybe a global CMO or a global CFO. And then when you're doing marketing, typically the marketing is done division by division because these large corporations have so many different products and offerings. It's one after another, and then you got to work your way up the ladder. Mm. So that makes a lot of sense. So your prediction next year is that they'll 
you know, they're going to cut spending right now. They'll eventually realize we need it again. We, we don't see that much of a cut in digital. We actually seeing it still grow. Okay. So we actually even surveyed uh, 8,000 plus companies for 2023. Most people are spending more on digital. Uh, traditional is going down. Television, radio, billboards, print. Mm. We're seeing a decline there. Majority of them are cutting uh, budgets there because it's not direct ROI. And would your agency manage all forms of marketing for a company or no, just digital? We only do digital. Okay. We'll do traditional if it's digital. And I'm not using technical terms on purpose, but like imagine someone watching TV on Hulu, right? You can buy ads on Hulu and you can track what the ROI is there. Right. Because connected super. TV, right? You can see, did that IP address go back to the website yep. from the Hulu uh, that saw the Hulu ad and then they convert? That's crazy. So, you know, I, I've studied a lot of Gary Vee and, and everything else and what he does with VaynerMedia. What's he doing different than you guys? Yeah, VaynerMedia does an amazing job producing great content. Um, they're more of a creative shop than we are. We're performance marketing. So like imagine spending a dollar on Google, what do you make in return? Or you rank on Google, uh, through SEO or, you know, paid Facebook ads that are performance based or email marketing, et cetera. VaynerMedia will go create like beautiful campaigns with let's say Budweiser and they may run during the Super Bowl or they may do some really cool social media campaigns. We won't actually go and create their creative. So would you, you guys would probably work in conjunction then. Correct. Okay. That makes sense. So, you know, I mean, obviously you guys are, are doing the ad agency thing and killing it. Um, you said software though was really how you built your wealth initially and yeah. you own some of those companies. And we still do software. Okay. Like we bought one earlier this year called Answer the Public. It was a marketing software. Okay. And it just tells you what new keywords people are searching for that are popular, but no one knows about yet. So like we still do quite a bit of software each year. So answer the public tells you what's trending that people don't know is about to trend. Bingo. Okay. And, and it's using Google suggest data. So Google starts pulling what are people typing in right now within that region that they weren't typing in before that's becoming popular. And then we just pull from that. And what do you plan to do with that? So when we bought it, it was monetized. It, was a, it wasn't a big company. We bought it for 86 uh, I believe it was six mil up front, 2.6 in payments over, uh, six quarters, which is what our deal was. I think we have three more quarters that we had to make payments on. And when we bought that business, it was only doing, call it a hundred a month in EBITDA, maybe 120, 130 in revenue a month. hundred, you're talking a hundred thousand. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And, uh, we felt it was under monetized. We probably will get that business to three, 400 a month in EBITDA. So call it 4 million a year if you want to average it out in EBITDA. But that wasn't the main reason we bought it. We didn't really care too much about the revenue or the EBITDA from the software. We have other marketing software solutions and they drive a lot of agency leads. So when we were looking at the companies that use Answer the Public, a lot of them are large corporations mm. and closing some of those deals would make us way more than the software would. Right, it's so, a lead magnet. It's marketing bingo. for you. Bingo. So it's two ends, right? It was- It's paid, mar It's <laughs> you don't even have to pay for it. You get paid to market to them and get deals. Yeah, so <laughs> if, if you look at the math, let's say we spent 8.6 in total, right? After right. all the payments. With the 8.6, once we get it to four in EBITDA, it's a little bit more than a two-year payback period, yeah. right? 
the multiple on that is worth much more when we fold it into our company than the multiple on that they were on their end, right? We paid roughly 8X. And then when you think about the leads that we generate, we'll generate much more revenue and EBITDA from the leads of companies using the software because mm. of the six, 700,000 monthly uh, uniques that they're getting right now, a, not a good chunk, a small chunk, but it's enough in volume are large corporations like the Nikes of the world and stuff where we don't have contracts that we love contracts. So it's a great foot in the door. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. So speaking of rolling up, this is something that I've now become um, much more aware of for why certain people are now trying to do roll-ups and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I don't come from the tech space and the the VC space. And so I'm just a gritty entrepreneur who's learning about this later on. And, you know, you, you see these companies roll up into each other and they just get this massive multiple now. So what's your strategy there? Because you're saying, well, we would roll them up. Are you guys planning to go public, exit? Like, what's the deal? No, when the market was good, a few people hit us up to go public. We didn't want to go public. Um, we've talked to the banks, like the Goldmans and stuff like that, uh, what it would be like. And it seems miserable. I've had a few <laughs> friends who have taken their companies public. We don't want to do that. Uh, we've looked at also selling to private equity. We haven't shopped it, but people have hit us up to try to buy the company. And we've gone quite a few offers over the last two years, uh, never chose to do it. The business is like a baby. All right. You have two kids. Yep. And I don't want to give my kids away. You know, I was in Brazil meeting with another entrepreneur and he's done well. He had all the, he had one of the biggest companies in Brazil that would teach people English. And I think in Florida, he owned a soccer team. And then he recently sold that. And he's like, just imagine it like your daughter is getting married and you're giving her away. I'm like, well, I don't <laughs> want to give away my kids. So every time people hit us up saying, hey, we want to buy you, I usually just ignore them. Someone on my team usually talks to them, but I don't really ever care to sell. Mm. So when when you're talking about a potential roll-up, though, if it ever did happen, I mean, you'd be rolling in the software and all these things into the same thing? or they Some of the companies different? are combined. Okay. Some of them are not. We don't... So private equity typically does roll-ups from multiple arbitrage or uh, synergistic play in which one plus one equals two. I mean, three, not two. Yep. So most people are like one plus one equals two. Private equity will be like, we can make one plus one equal three. And I'll give you an example of this. The one you just bought would do that. Yes, but their model is a little bit different. Let's say I own, my ad agency is called NP Digital after me, Neil Patel Digital. And let's say Gary Vaynerchuk owned VaynerMedia. And let's say we were both selling, okay? This is hypothetically. Yeah. A private equity will be like, wait, VaynerMedia doesn't have much overlap with NP Digital, but their customers use VaynerMedia services, but they pay a different agency to do creative work. And the companies that use VaynerMedia also need Google Ads and other stuff, but VaynerMedia isn't providing some of that stuff or SEO or whatever it may be. So private equity will be like, we should buy both companies and cross-sell. Yeah. And then your customers get stickier because they're more reliant on you, so churn typically goes down. Yep. So the customers are worth more, and you're generating way more revenue from your customer base, but you're buying them on separate multiples. Let's just say the math is 15 to 20 times EBITDA. That's typically what the companies are trading for in the agency world uh, if you're at scale. And when you're getting 15 to 20 times EBITDA, assuming you have good growth, 
you combine them, you're not doubling up. You know, the EBITDA, when you add them up together, is not one plus one equals two. With all the cross sales, you're getting close to one plus one equals three. And because of even larger scale, it's easier to go public where the multiples in theory should be higher. Not always, but in theory, they should be higher. Mm. No, that makes sense. I've been unknowingly doing that at obviously a way smaller scale. You know, I started out with um, our real estate investing education and then everybody was asking, hey, how do we get taxed? And so I started a tax company called TrueBooks. And so many of our students use our tax company. That's and cool. Tax is super sticky. Yes. And so, you know, they're they're with me there. And then we started another education company called Wealthy Creator, teaching them how to do social media because every entrepreneur right now needs social media. Yeah. And so it's like this intertwined web of, you know, different ways to make customers stickier and upsells and cross sells. Like it happens all the time. You know, we'll get an investor in my syndication with Panetta Capital and, you know, they need tax, they need this. And so it's just like this web of things happening. Well, the beautiful part of what you're doing is you have hard assets, real estate. Yeah. And the amount of leverage you can get going to the banks is amazing. Yep. That's what's cool about your industry. Our industry, you know, when you want to start doing roll-ups and you have cash flow, we go to the banks. Uh, we work with the amazing bank called CIBC. They're a Canadian bank. Um, and they're also in the U.S. as well. They're, I think they're publicly traded on the Canadian exchange. Either way, whether you go through a JP Morgan or a CIBC or whoever, you're just shopping rates, whoever's giving you the best rates, you get leverage and then you can use that to go buy more companies. Right. So you don't actually have to come up with cash out of pocket once you get to a big enough scale. But with real estate, you can do that much quicker owning less real estate because of the leverage that people are willing to give. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's the leverage look like at company acquisitions? Like what did Elon get as leverage to buy Twitter? <laughs> He probably put a lot of cash down. My guess is if Twitter was doing 2 million in EBITDA, I'm making it up. I don't know what EBITDA Twitter was doing, but let's say if they're at 2 million, maybe he'll get six, seven X max. It starts becoming higher interest rates. You'll start having to pay like 11, 12, 13% interest rates. Mm. So to give you an idea with like tech companies like mine, we can typically get 3X EBITDA at SOFR plus maybe 3%, three and change. Mm. So let's say if the Fed rate is 4% and we're at three, we're paying 7% interest. But when the market was good and the Fed rate was at, let's say, zero. a point or zero, <laughs> and we're at three, you're really talking about three, 4%. So when you do an acquisition for $10 million, you're only paying at 4%, $400,000 a year interest only. Yeah, it's nothing. Yeah, you don't. Free even, money. You have to make very little to almost no uh, principal payments, and you can scale up. And then you're adding more EBITDA, which allows you to borrow more. And of course, the math's not hard, right? Just do the math. I bought that company for less than ten million bucks. Even if it was at ten at seven percent, seven hundred, I'm growing the EBITDA. Even with its existing EBITDA, it pays for the loan plus more. But we were able to grow the EBITDA, so it's cash flowing more. It pays down the loan by itself. We use none of our own money. Yeah, that's crazy. It's just like real estate. We try to do things without using our, any of our own money. But like business, it's way, in my mind, it's way easier to force the appreciation. Would you agree? It is, but it's much harder in business to... Uh, uh, to build the teams and the systems exactly and to it, actually it, do it yes it, it's <laughs> more risky and there's more of you lose money than you gain money and i see a lot of people making mistakes yeah real estate's much safer 
it's safer. I, I don't think real estate is easy at all, which is why I used to do a lot more real estate. I don't do as much now. And I've done things from like apartment complexes that are a few hundred units. I think real estate is a lot of hard work. Yeah, it is. And everyone thinks like, oh, you just put in some money and you invest and you're good to go. It's easier to give people like you money and let you deal with the crap, no offense. Yeah. And to invest in a fund like yours or whoever may have a fund and then not have to deal with the renters. Yeah. No, I, I've actually said that as my career has developed, you know, I, I made my first millions flipping houses and, and doing real estate. And then eventually, you know, I started getting into the digital space and the social media space. I'm like, dang, dude, these digital products have way less overhead, way less risk, way yeah. more scalable. You know, it, it's sales and marketing essentially. Yep. And I'm like, I can do this over and over again. And so like I started going down that path, but I've always stayed with real estate because it's my core competency and I know how to do it. And, you know, as I've gotten more and more wealthy people, um, you know, and I see how they make money, I'm like, yeah, you guys shouldn't even mess with real estate. Like you guys, like you said, you should just give it to me or whoever else and like, let us deal with it. Cause the way you make money is like far easier, not, and not easier or simpler, but like just, it's just a better way of making money. Like yeah, active income. Yes. And a lot of them got started a long time ago. So their business at a scan is just like, do you really want to run this apartment complex for this return? It's like, it's easier to just park money with you or whoever else. Yeah, no, I agree. So what are you seeing, you know, I guess on the media side? Like, I mean, you've been doing ads for a long time. You know, you, you're on social media, you have a podcast too, and you yeah. know, you're, you're doing all these things. But what do you see happening with social media as, as the years go on? So I think organic social is going to become harder and harder. Reach is continually getting cramped. And I see people and influencers having no choice but to eventually start spending more on ads Yeah, if they're already not. The second thing that we're seeing is uh, there's going to be a big influencer pay with companies paying influencers to be brand evangelists. And not in the way that most companies are doing it. Right now, people will be like, hey, I'm going to go pay a Kardashian and have him post a photo. That's not working that well compared to what it used to four or five years ago. But what is working is saying, I'm going to do a deal with a Kardashian, give him some money, have him be part of the company, give him a little bit of equity, yep. and they're going to promote the product consistently. And they're also going to be part of the website and the landing page and the story is going to make sense. And the product's going to be very related to their audience. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that being super effective. I mean, it's, it's like what Nike's been doing forever with athletes. Exactly. Yeah. And online, you saw it where people would just go for the quick hits being like, oh, let me just pay Kim Kardashian for a post like skinny fit T back in the day. <laughs> They'd make the money and, and over time they're like, wait, this isn't working as well. Yeah. You needed to give Kim equity so she'd have skin in the game to actually do it. Yes. And she needs to actually be in love with the product and yeah. continually wanted to drink it or use it and post about it and be on the website and to be part of her brand as well. I mean, look at before all this drama with Kanye, but look at what him and Adidas did together. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And that's what I mean in which the celebrity has to be part of the company. Exactly. No, that makes complete sense. And I've been saying that for a while as I've watched the influencers who actually have started to build businesses or partner with businesses. Um, you know, I was seeing the thing of like, uh, Rihanna became a billionaire. Yeah, with Fenty. With Fenty, right? You saw Kylie Jenner do it, right? The youngest ever. Yeah. You know, you see Mr. Beast now creating his own products and, and different things. Um, the Rock and Conor McGregor, like going into alcohol. Yeah. And, 
you know, than selling for nine figures. And I'm like, that's the way you build influence and then you like build a really good company that's related to what you actually, to your point, are passionate about. But I don't think it works as well anymore. Okay. So many rocks and Rihanna's are doing it where every celebrity has their own product and brand. Okay. And we're seeing the gap in because we work with some of these brands, but um, I also know a lot of the investors in some of these companies as well. Okay. And what you'll find is a lot of times they break on the operations and systems end, right? You, you can, for example, Kylie Jenner can use her brand and just blow up any product that is related to her audience, EX Kylie Cosmetics. Did amazing job. But to continually build amazing products in the beauty space is a lot of hard work. I'm not saying she's not doing a good job, but it's not that simple from taking a company from zero to being worth a billion. And there's some posts online about the sales so you can see the sales numbers. It's not that easy to generate a few hundred million and then be like, all right, now we're going to scale to a billion, two billion in sales. It's a lot of work, a lot of systems, a lot of processes that I don't think a lot of these influencers have figured out yet. But when you combine them with the large corporations like I'm talking about, I think Fenty did a good job because Fenty's in partnership with uh, LVMH or one of those brands. It allows you to scale and grow much faster because they already have the systems and processes in place. Right. Yeah, that makes sense because to your point, basically any influencer could start a business and launch it like fast. But then after that, it becomes back to traditional business of like how well are you at R&D and operations and scaling because you got the marketing piece down. Yeah. But the other side is going to be the bottleneck. And I've had tons of conversations with CAA looking at a lot of the deals because they work with a lot of these influencers. They even have incubation there. And I've seen the revenue numbers for a lot of these businesses and a lot of big celebrities, not with a million or even 10 million followers. I'm talking about like 50, 100 million followers. You'll be shocked on how many of them are launching products like supplements or protein, let's say if the influencer is buff or whatever. Right. And you'll be shocked on how little revenue and how little profit the companies are actually generating. Mm. A lot of it's systems, processes, and operations where they're breaking down. Right. But I think too, I I guess also I look at it from the perspective of like, I I know you're like thinking super large and massive. And then, you know, maybe these guys with, take a guy like me across the platforms, I have like almost 2 million followers now. And I'm like, yeah, you know, if I could go do 50 million in revenue and go, go net 15 million bucks, a million bucks a month, whatever, like, I'm chilling. That's They're a great product. They're not even product. doing that. I'm looking okay. at a lot of the CAA deals and some of them are struggling to even make a million dollars a year in profit. Okay, well, yeah, then that's And then they good. have, call it followings that are 20, 30, 40 times larger than yours and they can't get to even 20, 30 million in revenue. So it, their problem was they just partnered with the wrong company, do you think? No, it's a lot of the influencers are creating their own companies and their own products, kind of like Kylie did Kylie Jenner versus Rihanna partnering with LVMH. yeah. And it's not the right management team. Well, that's what I'm saying. They just picked the wrong. Exactly. The wrong com- team, company, whatever. Or even product. Yeah. And a great example of this is, um, I forgot that the lady's name. She's super popular. She has like vodka infused whipped cream or something like that. I forgot <laughs> okay. what her name I don't is. Know. And she has a ton of followers. I'm pretty sure between all the platforms, over 100 million followers. But when you look at the revenue for that business, you're not even talking about $10 million. The problem is is the influencer wanted to do something like 
vodka-infused whipped cream, <laughs> something so specific. There's no product market. Yeah, there. and they're like, oh, riches are in the niches. No, it's not. You need to go after a big TAM, right? Total addressable market to yep. do well. Yeah, and that's why whiskey works. Yes. It's huge. Huge market. Yeah. But if every celebrity is going to create a whiskey product and you continually have The Rock and Connor and George Clooney and another hundred celebrities doing this. Yeah, you got to be unique, but also have a, a big TAM. Correct. Real quick, if you haven't heard, my book, The Wealthy Way, is coming out December 13th. I have been working on this book for years, and I'm super excited about it, and I want to have a massive launch, and I need your help. So here's what we are going to do. You can actually pre-order the book on Amazon right now on the Kindle version. And the best part is that Kindle version is only going to be 99 cents. Now, this book is a lot more valuable than 99 cents, but I want to get it in everyone's hands. So you can support by ordering it there right now. Now, on December 13th, you can get access to the paperback. You can get access to the Audible and all that good stuff. But that's not all we're doing. If you want to really support and leave a review for the book, I'm actually going to be giving away a free course that I created called Business Builder Academy. This is teaching everyone how to start a business from start to scratch, how to figure out your branding, your products, sales, marketing, everything that I've done to start up all of my businesses, I've put into this academy and I'm gonna give it to you completely free as long as you leave a review on Amazon. So think about it. You can go buy the book for a dollar, leave a review, and get a course worth thousands. So if you want to support and you want to get access to that, go to wealthywaybook.com, okay? Wealthywaybook.com. You'll be able to go pre-order it. You'll be able to submit proof of your review, and you're going to get access to that course. So I appreciate all you guys. Let's have a huge launch for this book and change some lives. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about this, actually. So... And I'd love for you to pick apart what I'm doing. So feel free to give your honest feedback. Um, you know, so I've started every company from scratch to this point. And, um, you know, this year, all the companies will do, not not counting like house flipping revenue as like, you know, the sale price of a house. Yeah. But like, we'll do between 20 to 30 million in revenue this year. That's a lot. Yeah. And next year, our goal with just the current companies I own is to do, you know, 40 to 50. That's the goal. And... One of our other things is we want to now become an acquisition company because a lot of people want to partner and you know all that stuff. And I know I could take a million dollar company and scale them up and without even using my personal brand systems, yep. right? And so we want to acquire 12 businesses next year. You know, ideally businesses that might integrate with the current ecosystem that we know we can give them an instant bump or you know, we we just really like the margin and the business, we understand it. And even if it's non-related. Yeah, we we can scale it up and get equity. Um, so like that's one of our goals um, this coming year, and you know, content that I'm doing is going to be around you know generating leads for yeah. these types of businesses. So, I guess my question to you is: the one thing I have been thinking is like one business I do want to start next year is a clothing brand, and you know, obviously influencers have had merch forever. But in my mind, I'm like, this is not merch. Like, this is like legit clothing, like the same clothes I wear. Yeah. It doesn't need to just say freaking Ryan, whatever, you know, have yeah. something that's totally addressable. Because when I wear these things, like this is a cuts um, sweater. Yeah. A lot of people who follow me wear cuts because I wear cuts. And I'm like thinking, man, look at all these videos that I'm in. If I've gotten over half a billion views online, and if it just said whatever the brand is on all these videos... That's a lot of free marketing 
Plus, now I'm actually reaching a massive TAM because everyone needs clothes. Like, you know, there's lots of ways to buy clothes. And um, all my other cu- products right now are very high ticket. They're they're very niche. Yeah. So what do you think? So... Don't uh, hold well, back. Uh, don't hold... Okay, so... <laughs> Tell first, me where I'm missing. How many people do you have? On roughly? what? Employees. Oh, employees? Um, Across all the companies... Uh, I mean, if you count like 1099 that, you know, are pretty good and stuff, it's close to 100. You won't be able to buy 12 companies successfully next year. So if you look at most private equity funds, they don't try to do um, their companies that they buy or companies that want to do roll-ups. It's hard to buy 12 companies because it's hard to integrate and run them all correctly. Right. That's why funds continue to raise more money and go after bigger deals Okay. because time is the big problem with acquiring companies. It's easy to do one a year. Okay. Two a year is not that bad. Once you start going more than three a year, it starts getting hard. I know some companies do way more than that, but they have so many people. And you What know, do you the- think about, though, just I guess on that end, I get that if I'm like owning 100% of the company, we got to fully run it. No, no, even when you own part of the company and other people. Even like a consulting for equity type deal, you still see it as a problem? No, that's a little bit different, but then you won't be able to spend much time. Right. I, I, I'm assuming you're buying a company, either 20%, 50%, 100%, right. you're either a minority or majority. Right. But to do a lot of deals, assuming it's not venture and you're actually helping run the companies and grow yeah. them, right. that's where it's going to okay. start becoming. So I, I should just pick some cherries next year. Pick the best ones and go all in. Okay. And then, uh, and it's not just my take on that. Big financial firms, that's what they tend to focus on because it's, the model's been proven out when you start acquiring 20, 30, 10, whatever companies, it's really hard to focus and really grow them all. Okay. It's not impossible. It's just really hard and the odds are against you. It's much easier to go find one, two, three deals and really just help them explode and pick the right ones. Okay. If you're taking the venture approach and you're just putting some money in and you're barely spending time, that's different. You can do 12 deals, 20 deals. You can do and a I ton think, of them. Yeah, and I think on... The minority stake companies, we were looking at it more so as consulting for equity type deals. And, you know, so that's not that bad if you're not, if your team's spending some of the time. Yeah. That's not bad. Um, but if we're going to run the full thing, then yeah. Bingo. And then uh, going into clothing and stuff like that, I'm, I'm with you. It's a big market. You're really good at real estate, at least. Yeah. From my perception of him, from everything I've seen, you're super sound. You give great advice. Just go buy more apartment complexes and buildings and raise more money. Right. It's scalable. You're already great at it. Is If you had a really good project tomorrow for 20 million bucks, is it hard to raise the down for the 20 million bucks? No, we could do it. And you can do it quickly. Yeah. And people have bet on you because you're good at flipping. You're very logical. You don't get emotional with real estate. A lot of people do. And I would just continually go do that. Just crush real estate. Yeah. Yeah. Because eventually you can go and raise a billion dollars, $5 billion. The 2% and 20%, I don't know how you structure them, but most funds at scale typically fall under the 2 and 20, right? right. 2% management fees, 20% um, of GP. the profits. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was talking with someone today, they run a $10 billion fund. Yeah. They're in their early 60s. You're talking about just on management fees, $200 million a year. <laughs> Less than 100 employees, 200 there. Their firm makes, call it 
300 to on a bad year to over 500 a year in income a year. Mm. So the founder's probably pulling in after paying uh, talent and all expenses, the founder's probably pulling in on an average year, 200, $250 million. Mm. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. And that's what you can end up doing with real estate. Mm. That is definitely something uh, to consider devoting resources to just raising capital. Yeah, just raise a lot of capital. Yeah. There's been a lot of people out there that I see in the real estate world with social media have raised, you know, half a billion, few hundred million, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I had, you know, Cardone was sitting there last month, you know, just talking about, you know, they're at a billion dollars raise strictly from social media. And, you know, I mean, he's, he's doing a little bit of everything too with, you know, education and, yeah, you know, all that stuff along with raising capital. I would just continue raising capital from social media for <laughs> for complexes. The money's great. What do you think about um since you're you're really into the Wall Street and corporate world, you know, it, raising capital on social media, you know, doing it for these smaller deals is totally fine, right? But yeah. uh eventually, you know, to be at the big boy level, you're raising Wall Street money. Like what do you think about transitioning there at some point? Uh You'll get there. You may already be there, but once you raise more and more and you show a track record of doing really well, yeah. you'll meet some funds yeah. and then you'll start producing a ROI for them and then they'll open up and give you more money and then you'll get more money from Wall Street and then eventually when you really want the money, then people start going to like sovereign wealth funds and pension funds and stuff like that. Mm. No, that makes sense. So- what do you see as like the biggest opportunities right now um, going into 2023? I mean, you're, you're obviously diverse in corporate, real estate, you know, marketing. Like you, you got your pulse on like all things business, it sounds like. What, what are some big opportunities you're seeing? The big one that I'm seeing is people should just focus on what they're really, really passionate about and what they're good at. Because everyone tries to do, they, they see the pasture is greener on the other side, right? They're like, oh, the grass is always greener on the other side. And that's not always true. For example, you're good at real estate. Mm -hmm. I've done well with real estate before when I was buying like bankrupt units or units uh, from the Mandarin or people that were going bankrupt and they just need a quick flip. But that's not what I specialize in. Mm -hmm. I've also lost money on real estate. Your track record in real estate is much better than mine. Mm -hmm. You're good at it. Mm -hmm. I'm really good at creating technical software mm. for B2B. I'm just good at it. I've been doing it since I was a kid. I like it. My track record for creating a B2B enterprise company is pretty decent. Yeah. Right? My batting average is great. So I just stick with what I'm good at. And everyone looks for new opportunities instead of just focusing on what they're good at. Like I have a friend here who is an ex-Goldman Sachs guy, lives in Summerlin which is Vegas, right? You know that, but yep. in case some other people don't. And he now owns a ton of HVAC companies. He was really good at Goldman Sachs at doing financial engineering. And he's like, huh, I was doing this for tech. I don't want to do this for tech anymore. The returns are hard. I'm really good at operations and finance. Let me just go do this in a boring industry. He fell in love with HVAC and roofing and plumbing. So home improvement stuff. Yep. And his name's Devin. And he's just like, I'm just going to buy up these companies. Makes a killing. 
Yeah. Like literally a killing. I'm not talking about like five, $10 million, but like he scaled up the organization to do a lot of revenue with only a few million dollars of capital. Cause some of these businesses, he's buying them for like two, three X EBITDA, some seller base financing the best rest bank. And he's putting no money down and he's getting these businesses for free. And then does online marketing and runs their operation better and says, Hey, instead of using paper for all your record keeping, let's go digital and actually use software and all this. And he's growing these companies by roughly 40 to 50% in the first year that he's acquiring them. Mm, that's amazing. So what, what's your plan then for 2023? So for us, um, we have software companies. We'll continually buy more software companies and continually to maintain. Is that your core competency? Yeah. Yep. And then with our ad agency, I don't run the ad agency. I spend most of my time on the ad agency because it's fun for me, um, working on the marketing strategy but it's just more international expansion. For us to be a big ad agency, we need to be in more countries. We're only in seven right now. We need to be in uh, seven main ones. We have some small ones we're in, but we really need to have like a base and let's call it 50 main countries. Um, and I'm hoping next year we can add at least seven, if not 13 more. And then over the next five years, I want to get to at least 50. What's I mean, what's the base in the main or these other countries for? Like, I mean, are they huge bases like with all these people or is it just like it's just to say we we were stationed here and now we can get business? Uh, most of them, you have to have a base with a good amount of headcount. So let's say like if Amazon wants to market in India, a lot of times Amazon corporate United States will find someone to help them in India and they'll say, we need you to provide X, Y, and Z headcount and resources that are dedicated into bringing Amazon into India. They're already there now, but you get the point. Mm -hmm. um, and the same goes with a lot of companies like Heineken will be like, we need to be have a bigger pres presence in Brazil we need you to put 20, 30 people on our campaign that just focus on social media, paid ads, et cetera. So if you get enough contracts, those 10, 20 people start adding up to hundreds of people. Mm. So a lot of people listening are, you know, small business entrepreneurs. Many of them might be under seven figures in revenue. You know, some are seven to eight figures. And that's, you know, probably where most people are. Um, you know, speaking on the paid media side and the digital side, uh, what, what are you seeing as like the most undervalued ways to market right now? One of the biggest under marketed strategies right now is influencer marketing with the combination of the influencer has to be on your website. Okay. So if the influencer has a related audience to your product, their, their followers know about your space and they're interested in products or services related to your space. And they talk about it a lot on their stories, their posts, their videos, and then they're on your landing pages. It converts really well. Mm. The other strategy that we're seeing that a lot of companies are putting more money to uh, next year is SEO because paid ads keep getting more expensive. Ranking organically on Google, even though it's hard and takes a lot of work, it produces a massive ROI. Mm. And then the third one that we're seeing companies make a mistake on is they all spend a lot on paid ads. Just look at Google stock or Facebook stock. I know Facebook stock is down, but still they generate a lot of revenue through paid ads. The big mistake that these companies make is they don't have upsells, downsells, multiple products to sell people. They don't optimize for conversions, the copy, the sequences. And when you do that, when you generate much more revenue from each click or each dollar spent, you can now start spending more dollars and scale up faster. Mm, that makes sense. So just being more efficient on that last one. Yep. what you're already doing with the SEO portion. This is interesting because, 
you know, Google is under attack right now. You know, they've had a search monopoly for yeah. many years, right? And you they know, still will going into the future. Okay. <laughs> you know, because I've recently seen multiple things about SEO and and their up, upcoming threats. One being, you know, AI and this chat GPT thing. Um, another being TikTok and that people are using now TikTok yep. for search. The younger demographics. Yeah. What do you think about those? So let's first go back to, you know, um, open AI and all their AI related products that help you create content. Uh, even like the chat one that you just mentioned. People have been creating tons of content for SEO for ages now. I'll give you a prime example of this. If you search for auto insurance in the United States, less than a hundred thousand or less than 200,000 people a month are searching for the term auto insurance. Mm. That I know for a fact. Did you know though, there's over a billion web pages on the term auto insurance in the United States. Mm. It's crazy. Think about how much more content there is than people actually looking for solutions. Yep. Now I'm not saying there aren't more people looking for auto insurance, but that's just the amount of people Googling for that term each month. Right. There's too much content already. So if these AI tools create 10 times more content, it doesn't really matter. Google is already combating tons of content that's mediocre and they're, rank they're ranking brands, people with a lot of links, people with a lot of social presence, people that are omni-channel, companies that people can trust. Using these AI tools doesn't solve that problem. Okay, it, so you don't think the, they're, they'll spam for SEO? Well, they can, but Google's already dealing with that. You already got a billion plus results yeah. for less than 200,000 people looking for a solution each month. Yeah. So they're already dealing with that. There's going to be no difference on that end. Okay. It's just companies are going to be like, oh, content creation is easier. It's easier to create mediocre content, <laughs> right? You can use AI tools to help you create text-based content, but it's not going to be at the same quality that you're creating content right now. You don't think AI will become better copywriters than humans? I don't know if they'll become better copywriters, maybe, but I don't know if they'll become more creative. The creativity is what really makes the content amazing. And what you'll find is, yes, AI can help you with your marketing and it may even do an amazing job, but it still needs someone to help with the brand creation, someone to help run the paid ads, someone to go out there and meet people and build that emotional connection. There's a lot of missing pieces that the AI can't do. It's really part of the puzzle. And what you'll find is companies will use AI to do a lot of their marketing and they'll get lazy and not do the rest. We're already starting to see it and they think that they'll get the same results, they which won't. isn't true. Yeah, you see the data. Yes. You still need people interacting with humans on social media not just from a format of leaving a comment, but being there, trying to help them out, caring for your audience. There's so many things that you need the AI to catch up with right. or running ads or going to a conference and actually networking with people. How many times have you met a lot of the people that have invested in your programs? I know a lot of people probably invest just over the phone, never met you, yep. but you go to a lot of events, correct? Yep, yep. And you met a lot of people in goodwill, mm -hmm. speaking, yep. right? 100%. This all helps build that brand, whether it's corporate or personal. It's hard for AI to just do those things for you. Right. There's always going to be a human element to brand. Correct. That's why Nike's got to pay the LeBrons of the world to make it more humanized. Bingo. AI can't replace that. Yeah, that makes sense. So what about TikTok? TikTok, I agree. That's a big threat to Google, but I think they have a long time because that threat is with a really young demographic. Right. And we are seeing TikTok ads boom. That is another huge opportunity. Um, at our ad agency, we see TikTok ads cost roughly half the amount and produce the same uh, revenue. Uh, let's say if you're advertising on Facebook, 
So let's say at Facebook, for every dollar you spend, you would spend roughly 50 cents on TikTok, but you would generate the same revenue from TikTok as you would with Facebook for yeah. each dollar. No, it just reminds me a lot of, you know, when I hear about these guys who got into online marketing, you know, seven, eight years ago, and they're running YouTube ads and Facebook ads, nobody knew what the heck was happening. Yeah. And then they just would talk about the returns being crazy. And that's why I'm like, okay, so what is undervalued right now? Should I be using AI? You know, it's it's now becoming uh, this talked about topic. Should I somehow use it into my marketing? Should I be thinking like, hey, you know, obviously I should run a lot of TikTok ads based on what you're saying. That's yeah. simple. Um, and then you like mentioned another thing with the influencers and these brands. And I'm like, okay, me being, let's, let's talk both sides. Me being an influencer, what am I worth to a big brand, right? Like what kind of deal should I negotiate? And then what kind of deals should I be looking to strike with my buddies Yep, for my products? What do you think? So you're more saying if you were... I'm I'm on both sides. Like I'll I'll look to hire influencers for my own companies, you know. So I look at it as like a ROI standpoint. If yeah. it works, do everything. Like for you, if you can be an influencer and like I'll give you a great example. If if I'm an influencer for like PayPal, I do a lot of work with PayPal, I'm building a great relationship with them. Potentially get bigger contracts or deals with them. But at the same time, I'll also hire influencers for my own businesses and literally do a little bit of both. But like all these channels and all these options as like experimentation, just do a little bit of everything and whatever works, double down on whatever doesn't do less of. Right. No, I mean, it's always testing and marketing. Sadly. <laughs> you never have the exact answer. Yes. Yeah. What do you think about everything happening with metaverse and blockchain like, where do you see that technology going here's the best part we got hit up from someone on facebook they're like hey would you like to throw an event on the metaverse and i'm like you know how hard is it going to be to get all our attendees to wear these oculus <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah goggles and they're they're expensive and a lot of people don't have them i'm like no thank you the metaverse isn't that great yet like, yeah. do I think Facebook is doing a good job with their current platforms when it comes to generating ad revenue? Sure, they do great. I don't think a lot of people care as much for the metaverse as Facebook thinks. Do I think it's going to be huge five, 10 years from now? Sure, but I don't think in the form that Mark Zuckerberg's thinking with avatars. What I think is going to be huge is a very different thing. Let's say my wife and three of her friends want to go shopping in the mall somehow with some sort of technology like a contact lens that isn't you know big and sitting on your yeah, face yeah. you can all virtually be in a mall shopping at any store nordstrom's macy chanel you name it and it looks real identically like as if you were in that store right and you're picking stuff trying it on all happening virtually you can pick what you want to buy with your friends you're getting the social ex uh um you're getting the social interaction, interaction. yep and it's all like if it was in real life, not with avatars, but you're actually there. It looks 100% real. And you're like, I want to buy this Chanel purse. You check out and within an hour, it gets delivered to your house. Mm. That's what I think it's going to be. Right. So, and do you think like people, obviously, I think gaming will also be big in there. Gaming will be huge. Yeah. Uh, and it's not that the concept of the metaverse won't work. It's just the avatars and what... Mark Zuckerberg was like, oh, people have Zoom fatigue. You can have your character. Dude, I can just turn off my video camera. Who cares? Why do I need <laughs> the avatar there for me? Just turn off the camera. I do so many Zoom calls where the camera's on or off. And that's where I see it 
really going is if it can replicate something that's realistic and I can hang out with my friends in the United Kingdom or London and I'm in Las Vegas and it's 100% real and we're all communicating just like if it was in real life and that's the key, not with some fake avatars, I think that would be a huge hit tomorrow. It's like the Matrix. Yes. Yeah, you know, you think you're in this real place and that that's what it is. That's where it needs to go. And I think eventually it can go there. Yeah, I think that's probably a while away, but... That's what I was saying, five years, probably closer to 10 years. Yeah. And so what do you think about blockchain and all that? I think blockchain is great. I know there's been a lot of ups and downs with crypto. Yeah. Um, the technology is amazing. Just imagine if someone in your family from another country, like let's say my family in India, they want money. Why do I have to go to a bank? Why can't I send them money instantaneously through, call it Bitcoin or any of these currencies or through the blockchain, right? Right. So forget the value of the tokens or the value of these coins or whatever you want to call them. I think technology is just getting started or people owning their own data. Yeah. I think a lot of this is going to be big. It's just A, companies don't know how to really use them yet and people are far from adopting them. Those are two important things. And a prime example of this is Airbnb. The CEO, Brian, went on CNBC talking about on Twitter, he did a poll. Most people are like, yeah, we want you to accept Bitcoin and integrate blockchain. Well, the real changes that they made that helped improve the business were with their search listings because outside of Twitter, which is a little bubble, believe it or not, yeah. on what people want, especially when it comes to uh, blockchain. But outside, most people who are using Airbnb want better listings so they get more transparency and the people who are renting out their homes want a better experience as well. So that way it's a better match between potential renters and the landlord, them. And that's what they focus on and it caused the business to grow. If Airbnb decided to take Bitcoin all of a sudden, that's not gonna make the business boom. No. The experiences. Yeah, Bitcoin's not adding any revenue or anything to them. Exactly. Right, it's just more of a gimmick. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying is we're far away from blockchain technology being really relevant in businesses because people are really far from adopting it yet. Right. What do you see like it adding value to in businesses eventually? Big How- thing is data and privacy. Yeah. I think that's going to be a big one. The other one is I think it's going to rechange our whole financial system. Great example of this is we're in Vegas right now. Imagine everyone working in a casino. Did you know a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck? I forgot the stats, but it was this big amount. Yep. And a lot of people with that are getting paid, call it minimum wage or $10, $15, $20 an hour. A lot of them are the ones using payday loans and are in debt, mm-hmm. which sucks. Imagine if they can start getting paid for every minute that they worked. You work at a casino, by the time you're done with your shift, you have that money on your phone and you can use it. You don't have to pay interest for payday loans. Mm-hmm. All right. There is a company um, out of the US, uh, I think the the word day is in there, day force or something like that. They're okay. publicly traded. They're now doing daily payments. Crypto and blockchain is helping with some of this stuff, but it's not fully there where everyone can do it on the hour, or on the minute. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of stuff that's going to change this world. Right. What do you think about NFTs? I think NFTs are great. You know, why can't people own their own um, artwork, images, whatever you want to call it, and actually have proof that it's their own ownership? Right. Um, And I think you're going to have that with a lot of digital images. And I don't think just art. 
I think it's going to go much further than just art. You're talking about it can be done for things like any visual assets um, that are on your website or anything that you end up creating out there, right? Mm. And the big thing with NFTs and some of these rich media formats that blockchain can help with, I just think, again, we're really far from it and it's just in this early phases. Yeah, no, a thousand percent. I'm I'm curious because like uh, I believe that too. I still believe all this stuff is very far away. But I guess the question as an entrepreneur is, you know, like I have a very successful NFT project. It was number one on OpenSea. Like that's it, awesome. Yeah, it's it's gone really well. And despite <laughs> all the FTX drama and everything, it's remained up a lot. And so, you know, I'm looking at it, and I believe that. And to your point, real estate's my thing. So I'm like, I know real estate and the blockchain are going to be huge. Like there's so much inefficiency in a real estate transaction that happens that blockchain can solve. And I'm like, I know I can help create the companies that will solve that. And so my question is like, when you're creating a startup in tech, because tech is not necessarily my forte, even though this, this NFT project has been an element of tech, um, being too early became, becomes an issue I mean, in my mind, I'm looking at Facebook and Meta and I'm like, you guys got the right idea, but like it's too early. It's way too early. Yes. Right. And so I'm like, you know, how do you navigate the timing of a breakthrough technology? It's hard to time anything. Right. So um, you just got to pick a time and hope that (laughs) hope you're right. (laughs) Hope you're right. Or sometimes just wait it out. Wait it out. Like, I forgot what was the video player before YouTube or the uh, video social network. It was VO or Vimeo. I think it was VO or one of those. Uh-huh. And they went through a lot of lawsuits and got bloody, but they paved the way for YouTube to be next. And now yeah. YouTube is a big, you know, winner for streaming online. Or Well, you look at like these success stories of Elon with Tesla and you're like, you know, he was so early and he yeah. was just like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You know, you look at Bezos with books and Amazon. And he's just like, I have the patience that I'm right. Yes. And if you have the patience, but more importantly, the money yeah. to be patient, you're good to go. Right. That's the hard part. Because a lot of times when you're too early, yes, you have first movers advantage, but a lot of times you need a lot of money for the market to be ready and catch up. Right. And then you you mentioned data and privacy being huge. And I, I've seen a lot of this with um, blockchain is that people are going to own their data. Yeah. And you know, Facebook and all these companies can no longer monetize your data without paying you. Um, and you as an ad guy, that makes sense of like, you. that's something you got to be tracking a lot. How do you see that? We see it becoming more and more popular. People want to be compensated for their uh, content. Why shouldn't they be? Right. Um, and I actually believe you're going to start seeing much more transparency and more programs being rolled out just think about how much money Facebook is losing from influencer marketing. Why wouldn't they want to create a system that just connects everyone and take a big cut? Why Why is Facebook losing from influencer marketing? Just because they're not having to do a paid ad? Yeah, because someone like me or you can get paid to post something and right. we collect the money directly. Yeah, right. we put paid promotion, but why wouldn't Facebook want their cut and to middleman it? Right, that makes sense. They already have all the advertisers. The advertisers are going directly. Might as well get a cut of that spend. The right. influencers will love it because then they'll get access to a lot more companies in mass scale. TikTok's kind of doing that. Like 
they have like, I've seen it. I've never done it, but they're like, you want to be in our creator marketplace, whatever, and we'll connect you with brands and yep. stuff. So that's kind of happening. They're starting to happen, but it's not a system like with Google ads where you can just click some buttons and pick what you want and just you're off to the races. What do you think will happen with YouTube and these social media platforms where, you know, it seems like, okay, now everyone saw what YouTube did with Google AdSense for influencers and creators. And now, you know, it's forcing Instagram and TikTok. Yeah, they all have to do it. Everyone has to do it. Yeah, and you're going to see more of it. Um, And YouTube's a little bit of a different animal. The reason YouTube's a different animal is people use Instagram and TikTok mainly for entertainment over education. Mm-hmm. I, I know there's some education happening on these platforms, but YouTube has a big educational audience where people are looking to go there to learn right. about anything. Um, and YouTube has a big upper hand because if you look at how people watch YouTube videos, it's them doing a search query and then finding videos which allow ads to be much better targeted than they would on Instagram or TikTok or some of the other platforms. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, YouTube would have the strongest ads, you would think. Yeah, because you can end up seeing what people are doing based on behavior, just like you can with TikTok and Instagram, but you also have keyword data as well. What do you think Elon will do with Twitter to get it up to these levels? Because Twitter don't pay anybody. He's going to have to redo a new, make the product a lot better and add in more features. Yeah. He wants to tra- create like that uh, super app. Yes, like uh, WeChat. like the WeChat in Asia where it does payments and everything. Yeah. And... I'm not saying he can't do it. I would never bet against Elon, but it's not going to be easy. <laughs> is that, who do you, okay, this is my final question for you. Who do you think is like, as somebody who's been around all these different companies, you've met CEOs, you've met, you know, very smart people. Who are some of the top people, entrepreneurs in the world that you see today? Um, Elon, of course, is one of them. Uh, I think Jack Dorsey from, uh, uh, not well, they Stripe, block, uh, they changed, yeah, right? block and, yep. uh, to Twitter. He's really good. Even though people hate on Mark Zuckerberg, he's a really smart entrepreneur, Matt Mullenweg, the creator of WordPress. Uh, he's done exceptionally well and is really bright. Um, uh, the CEO of Airbnb. I love him because he knows how to stay in his lane. He's a founder, Brian. He knows how to stay in his lane and just, he optimizes for experience and just tries to delight everyone. Uh, Bill Gates, I think he is an amazing entrepreneur and what he's going to do with power uh, and energy um, and a lot of the Wait, things he's I got another conspiracy theory. Why is he buying all the farmland? What's he doing? I have no idea. <laughs> now, some of these guys, I try to stay away from their political views yeah. and stuff like that. But if you're just talking about entrepreneurship, <laughs> right? Some of these guys are some of the best entrepreneurs of our time. Yeah. No, a thousand percent. Actually, this reminded me, speaking of entrepreneurs, I don't know if you can mention it, but you said you guys were managing um, FTX's stuff. Yeah. How was it working? Did you ever work with SBF? Like, what was the fallout from that? Was it as crazy as it seemed? So when you're an outside contractor, you don't deal with as much of the internal stuff, I'm assuming, that that happened. And keep in mind, when companies are worth billions and billions of dollars, they have a lot of layers. So you end up usually just dealing with employees. Like, I've never met Sam in person. Right. A lot of it is like phone calls. And he was a CEO. In marketing, you're dealing with the COO, CMOs, VP of marketing, director of marketing, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Interesting times with them, man. It's crazy. crazy. (laughs) I I could be wrong on this. I don't know what's going to happen, but if I had a bet, 
and I bet on this before Sam got arrested. I bet you someone's going to go to jail for a very long time. Yeah. Because here's the thing, when it comes to the political system and you got these senators and governors, when rich people get burned, right? People look at it as like, oh, they're rich. They already have a ton of money. They're okay. When people, the masses get burned and it's a lot of their life savings and it's a ton of people, they're going to go to all their politicians and be like, I lost my money. I'm pissed. Going out with the pitchfork and someone's got to end up getting fried for it. I'm not saying when rich people lose money, you know, people aren't getting hung and going to jail, but people have less sympathy. Even I have less sympathy for them. Yeah. This is like, oh, you put a million dollars into something and you lost it. Oh, you still got $10 million. You're still okay. Yeah. But when someone has $100,000 and that was their life savings and they got kids and family, like those people are struggling, right? Yeah. It's really hard on them. The person who still has $9 million, their life still isn't that bad. I'm not trying to talk crap, but that's just the reality. Yeah. And a lot of people whose life savings or majority of their wealth were in these platforms, it sucks. Yes, they're going to struggle, but also their family, their kids, they're going to struggle. And I think someone's going to go to jail for it. Could be wrong though. Yeah, no, I agree. That's what people want to see anyways. But dude, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, man. I appreciate you coming out. I didn't know you're in Vegas, so we'll definitely have to do some more stuff, man. Appreciate you. Yeah, same. Cool. All right, guys, make sure you subscribe. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Thanks for watching all the way through on this podcast. It means a lot to me. I've also done another interview that I think is going to be super helpful for you, so make sure you watch this one now coming up next.